Ladies. The energy, see essence, you inhale the presence The air in your lung, that's the first step to blessing You're a priest, you're a king on the mountain climbing Are you up, are you down, doesn't matter, take your crown The energy, see essence, you inhale the presence Air in your lungs, that's the first step to blessing You're a priest, you're a king on the mountain climbing Are you up, are you down, doesn't matter, take your crown So you looked in the bucket, you saw a giant mass of crabs They were clawing at each other, slicing, dicing Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you're tuned in to Glory Podcast. I'm your host, Monk. Here we are back at it with another episode. Today, we're going to get into some concepts, and then I'm going to kind of use the Bible here, get into some biblical interpretation. I've been naming these episodes the Bible Decoder episodes, so I've been taking questions or issues you guys have sent me about, okay, how do we interpret this or reinterpret this in a Christian context? Or, hey, maybe I'm looking at these passages, these concepts in the Bible, and there seem to be contradictions. How do we address these contradictions? So that's what I'm doing today in this episode. Uh, Like I said, if you want more resources, go back and listen to all of our former podcasts. There's a ton of great resources on just about anything you can think of. And then also you want to take a deep dive into identity, character, developing as a man or as a person and how that all works in a religious, spiritual, and just practical day-to-day context to get my book, Reclaiming the Man, A Rough Guide to Knowing Your Divine Self. So today, today what I'm talking about is going to get into three essential questions or three essential concepts, and I'm going to be using different passages in the Bible kind of as my my baseline text for these. But my first thing uh, that I'm going to be talking about today is uh, what you behold consciously is what you worship. The second thing I'm going to talk about today is what you worship is what you become, or you become what you worship. And then the third thing I'm going to address is that in that context, your environment will react in accordance or according to what you become. You know, so we have this relationship of if what I'm beholding consciously, what I'm spending time on does not line up with who I see myself becoming or what I want to see myself become, or it doesn't line up with the will of God or the will of the the divine presence in your life. All of that in that context, again, will turn you into something through the development of your character. And then also that development of character, good, bad, or ugly, your character is always being developed Um, because you're always getting inputs And then those inputs determine what your output is going to be. And so you can consciously have certain inputs happening, but also unconsciously you're getting inputs. Now, how you change your unconscious or your subconscious input and what that output turns into, the subconscious is actually um, programmed by the conscious. So what you consciously behold and focus and spend time on is actually a form of worship. In the ancient understanding, when you study this thing out, going all the way back into these ancient cultures, 
you know, and then in the context of what you worship, the characteristics of, let's say, a God or a being that you spend time uh, looking at and adoring, or let's just say you don't, you don't have worship in that sense. What do you spend your time on? You spend your time studying. Do you spend your time working? Do you spend your time gossiping? All these other things, right? That becomes a type of worship. And then what you worship, those aspects, those characteristics, or those activities you spend so much time on, that those create habits, behavior patterns. And then through that, that's what you become. And then through what you become and your actions, the fruit of that worship, then your environment is transformed. And that, again, transformed, good, bad, ugly according to how you act. And so let's dig in and dive into these a little bit because, you know, there's this word that gets thrown around a lot, like idolatry. You know, we in the West, we make an idol out of money. The church, we make an idol out of politics. We make an idol out of doctrine. We make an idol out of the big dude on the stage or the big dude at the conference, when we look at how Jesus did it with his apostles, how did the revolution start? You know, one of the most historic moments ever in the history of the planet was Jesus sitting at a table with 12 dudes and saying, here, eat this, here, drink this. Completely flipping the paradigm, the current current political landscape and even how humanity viewed itself in conjunction with the divine nature on its head in that small mundane moment. And so, yeah, there's a time and place for the big to-dos, the big shadas, the big events. But this thing is about being aware of the divine presence with you at all times and and actually coming to a knowledge and an understanding that you carry God with you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the vehicle, the conduit through which God wants to live, move, and have its being on the planet earth and then that person sitting next to you that neighbor across the street is also god living moving and having his being on the planet and so when you look and see another person what we're trying to get to is this realization that god in me is trying to experience or desires to experience god in another person and the other person god in them recognizing god in me and us having this Literally, experience of divinity, experiencing another aspect of divinity out on this thing. And it's a beautiful thing. But we have to come to an awareness of that. And honestly, our worship, what we behold consciously and are focused on consciously, does not necessarily reflect that at all times. But the more time you spend consciously reflecting and beholding, right? Worshiping the characteristics of God and who God really is. It shows you more of who yourself is. And then if you do that long enough, that becomes your autopilot. That becomes what you start doing subconsciously without focusing on it. And then you're led into more realms of growth and refinement 
etc. And then again, the fruit of that is your environment is going to react in concert because we've given been given authority over the earth. We've given, been given authority over our contexts that we are in. So let's look at this first thing a little bit. What you behold consciously is what you worship. Uh, some biblical examples and principles to start with. I'm going to Exodus, the 20th chapter, verse 4. Right, This is right after Moses goes up to Sinai. Um, he's talked to God. He's come back down. And then... Um, He's telling the people like this is what's this is what's happening. And this is what God is telling Moses. So he tells them Exodus 20 verse four. He tells them, you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. So he's telling them, don't make an idol of these things. And now um, there's a lot going on in this passage, and it's a rabbit hole. You could go down if we really opened it up because you have to get into the ancient cosmology, how the Hebrews and these ancient cultures um, understood the world. And it goes back to first creation, goes back to Genesis, the first and the second chapters. And there's a precedent for all this. But basically, they understood their cosmology as there were these layers to the universe. And so you had heaven as a realm and in heaven, there were beings, heavenly beings, basically, right? Heaven in heaven above. Right. And then there are these beings. They're called angels or called a bunch of other things. Our general word for them is angels. Uh, and what he's telling them there is like, you don't want to look to these beings from heaven, this other realm, because they are different than you and they have different power than you and influence than you. And it's very easy to take these things that are created beings, just like you are a created being and worship them because they're not meant to be worshiped. Right, so they got this one layer that which is heaven. They've got earth, which is the realm that they're on. Now there are some amazing things on earth, and most of the world at this time in this ancient context was pantheistic. They had some type of pantheism going on, meaning they rep they um, worshipped multiple gods in terms of the elements, the natural elements that they saw or creatures of the earth and they like the characteristics of those animals of those creatures of these created beings and then they would create some type of god or deity and they would focus on that aspect or that element of the creation you know in the earth but earth is the realm where people where humans exist so we have this layer where there's heaven and there's these heavenly created beings that god has given roles rules and responsibilities just as he put humans on earth and gave them roles, rules, and responsibilities, two layers. And then there's this other layer known as the water under the earth. You could call this the underworld. And if you get back to first creation, God creates, there's waters above, there's waters below. He separates them with this thing called the rakia. But those waters below represent chaos, right? Disorder chaos and decreation and there are other beings or things that are part of that destructive force 
And so this is a little bit about the ancient cosmology. If you're wondering like, well, we don't want to make um, idols of heaven, earth, or the water under the earth. This is just a little bit about the ancient cosmology to help that make sense. But to get back to our key concept, what you behold consciously is what you worship, right? God's telling them right here. He's like, don't make yourself an idol out of any of these created things. Okay, verse 5, you shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, a lot of times that verse 5 is said, you see, God is judgmental. God deserves or requires vengeance. And that's not really necessarily the heart there. This is all filtered through this misapplied misunderstanding of the people of that day. What God is saying here is like, look, if you serve these other gods, if you worship something that is created and not the creator himself, then it's going to lead you to act in a way that is against your design. And if you act in a way that is against your design, you're not becoming who you could fully become as an individual and as a people. And as a result, your children, it's not that the children inherit my sins, but the children, my children, will have to deal with the consequences of my failures. They'll also have to deal with the consequences of my successes. And so that's what's going on here. Right. If you are worshiping these false gods, again, I'm beholding that consciously. And as I worship these things consciously, I start to have a messed up image, a distorted view of who I am and who God is. And therefore, I will start acting according to what my self image, my self concept is in accordance with the false image or the false concept of God, because I don't understand who he is. And even we see it in this verse, the people don't understand who God is. And so they can't see his blessing. They even close themselves off to his blessing. But in verse six, God gives us a picture of who he really is. He says, but wait, because if you, if you go this route, it's going to be three or four generations of bad stuff your children are going to have to deal with because your dumb self wanted to worship a created being instead of the creator himself. Again, that's like worshiping. You wouldn't worship a human, but you'll worship a dolphin. You wouldn't worship a human, but you'll worship the sun, right? One of these created beings in the heavenly realm, for instance. He's saying, hey, I'm the creator of all things and I've put my spirit in you, but you're not even going to acknowledge that and you're going to elevate things that don't need to be elevated. You are going to, to get it back to Genesis, you are going to reach for the wisdom yourself instead of allowing God to teach you the wisdom. And as a result, generations, three or four generations later, there are going to be consequences that your children are still dealing with. But he says in verse six, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. 
It's not that he doesn't love people who don't keep his commandments. He loves all of them. But what he's saying is you will not experience the blessing and you will not experience the life that I have to give you because you choose not to because you are worshiping a false god and a false idol. You know, and then we have a New Testament parallel to this very concept, right? In Matthew, the sixth chapter, verse 19, y'all have all heard this. If you grew up in church, even if you haven't, you've probably heard this too. And if you are a non-believer listening to the, this podcast, first of all, thank you. Second of all, just come into this with an open mind and an open heart. That's all I ask. If you disagree, you disagree. I'm not trying to prove anything to you. I think the text speaks for itself. And truth is truth is truth. It's going to speak for itself. And it's going to work on you the way it needs to work on you. Right? What you believe is what you believe. I'm not here to argue with you. And I'm not trying to prove you right or prove you wrong. I'm just laying out what I see here. And let's let it speak for itself. Um, so Matthew... 6 verse 19 he says right again consciously what are we focusing on see this a lot today in our society and us being i'm not knocking capitalism but we see this in our capitalistic society where there's an infinite growth trend for everything and we're trying to commute accumulate as much as possible he says here, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Okay, so first, just breaking those down a little bit. All right, if you're focusing upon everything about who you are on the earth, and that what you can gain and accumulate on the earth, that becomes your worship. But guess what happens when what you worship is destroyed? Whoop! Now the foundation is pulled out from under you and you're sinking in those chaos waters, in that realm of disorder like we just talked about. Um, he says also in verse 21, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So what your treasure is, what you treasure and what you put value on, what you truly place value upon, that's going to be the thing that kind of determines what you turn into, who you are and how you become it. And then he goes on. So this is getting back into what you see and what you behold, the lamp of the body, this is verse 22, is the eye. If therefore your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. So again, if you are beholding and worshiping a being of light, a God and all the divine characteristics of who God is and how he has made you the same way and how you have the possibility and the potentiality to become and transform into that, right? Your whole being, your whole body is full of light and then light casts out darkness. But if you do not 
Again, so if I fill my eye full of dark stuff, if my perspective is shifted to see the world a certain way, if I see everybody is out to get me, guess what type of experience I have? I have an experience where everyone is out to get me. And vice versa, if I have an experience, if I have a perspective where, bro, God's blessing me everywhere I turn, his yoke is easy, his burden is light, I'm in he and he is in me and we are one together, then every environment, every atmosphere I step into, I bring the presence of God with me. And guess what? The presence of God in me calls out the presence of God everywhere I step. Then that's a whole different experience. Then the person who has this experience where everyone's out to get me, I'm no good. And again, the actions and the things I experience in their environment and their day-to-day life reflect what is coming in through the eye or the perspective. So again, if I'm beholding that consciously, that forms my worship and the conscious worship or the conscious attention to things is important because That is what programs what you do subconsciously. That programs and that overrides what you do on autopilot. So I want my autopilot to be those fruits of the spirit, right? Peace, joy, love, long-suffering, compassion, you know, all of those things. I don't want my fruit to be all the fruits of the flesh that are listed. You know what I mean? Right, envy and strife and misunderstandings. You don't want that. So, if you're consciously focused on the other things, then the byproduct of when you're on autopilot, when you're going about your day, the fruit of that keeps churning because that is what you have turned your focused attention to. Getting to the next point, though, what you worship is what you become. We've touched on this a little bit, but I'm going to point point you to one little passage here in second timothy because this is the whole deal with the gospel we we receive the good news and a lot of you finished works folks out there like it's finished bro we don't have to do anything you're absolutely a hundred percent correct you do not have to do anything god gave you your salvation You opened up your awareness to the fact that it was done and you received it. You don't have to do anything to earn your salvation. It is a free gift. It's a free gift just like my son being born. He did not ask to be born. He was born. He has my name. He bears my image. And then all that I have available to him in my household is his. But guess what? If he does not get up off his butt and get into action and get into partnership with me, he can't learn how to move or operate or be effective as he goes about his day to day in this earth. And it's the same with us. God's not coercing us to earn our salvation, but it's like, now that I know I'm with him and he's with me and all these resources are out here available to me and I'm blessed with them. Now I can live and move and have my being in a way that's empowered. And it's not from a place of having to or do, do, do. It's from a place of Fullness. I'm moving from a place of fullness. I'm moving from a place of wholeness and I can do way more 
from a place of wholeness than I could ever do from a place of lack. But if I sit there on the couch and just being like, oh, it's finished, bro, that's cool. But you're going to be ineffective in the real world. And for me, in my space where I'm at, if it's not effective in the real world, like you'll get your butt whipped. Like spiritually speaking, but like physically, like you could get yourself into some really dangerous situations. And I've been there. Okay. Like, like literally it's some life and death stuff that could be going on if you are not grounded in that and it is not effective in the real world. This thing has teeth, but there is a period, right? When you come to this and you understand that your works don't save you, that yeah, you might need to sit and soak and detox from all the religious activity um, and all those chains you feel upon you. But there comes a time when God's saying like, okay, I got more to show you. I got more to show you. Do you want to see it or not? So make sure we're not there on the couch ignoring the new things God is trying to show us. That's a little rant. That's a freebie for those in the finished works. Pull a little bit. Don't. Yeah, detox from all that religious activity, but do not ignore God when he's calling you to actually do some stuff so he can show you some new things, so he can show you even more of who you can become in him. And sometimes it requires a little bit of work. Sometimes it requires a little bit of effort. Sometimes it requires a little bit of consistency. And that's probably the biggest problem with people of my age and my generation. You don't want to grind on something consistently until it turns on to something. And guess what? It's not a religious activity. That might be the new thing that God is trying to show you. Boom, mic drop. I'll get off my soapbox for a minute on that point but what you worship eventually becomes what you become i look again at my kids if i move a certain way i act a certain way they reflect those behaviors you know something i love about both of my kids they're in school now and their teachers say they are the kindest two kids they are so kind they're nice to everyone they don't have drama with anyone everyone wants to be their friends I don't know how they do that. I'm a very, I'm not a super social person, but my wife and I have made it a point that we treat people with kindness and compassion and love. And we bring our kids around, our kids are around all kinds of people as we are interacting with these people. And so my kids have learned through watching me and watching my, my, my wife, probably more so my wife than me about how to deal with their peers from watching me and my wife deal with our peers and members of our community. So if we behold God as a God who is loving and kind and gentle and part of us, not some taskmaster that's just trying to get us to do, do, do all the time, eventually we will reflect these characteristics So again, if you're not even worshiping God, you're worshiping something else, some created thing, that created thing can be destroyed. So what happens when the thing that you worship and have staked your whole identity in is destroyed? Well, you reflect that. So now, in a sense, your identity has been destroyed because you worshiped something and staked your whole name upon it. 
So that's what you become. And when the thing that you've become is destroyed, you're not left with anything. And this is where for a lot of people, the addictions, the suicide, all of the bad behaviors start because their identity is grounded in something it was never meant to be in the first place. Literally, you're acting against your design. So, but let's look at this passage a little bit, right? You worship what you become. So here is the fruit. Here's the fruit of your conscious worship and we're seeing this manifest. And here's what you turn into according to what you behold all of the time. You know, quick anecdote. You know, I got real into watching, um, which I had some mental health issues, so I understand now why I was attracted to certain types of media, but I would watch these really dark, dark shows. Like, I used to binge watch, like, Sons of Anarchy and um, Breaking Bad. Like, but I watched both of those series, like, multiple times, like, five or six times, all the way through, like, in a row, both of those shows. You know, over the course of a couple of years. And then what I noticed about myself, though, it was really hard for me to find joy in things. I saw everything in the world around me as some type of seedy underground thing that was going on. And, you know, then you get you add on some little conspiracy theory and all this. But my point being, that was a type of worship. I started beholding through my eye a created world that was that operated a certain way in darkness and revenge and blood and guts and gore. And then I started seeing the world that way. And then that started coming out in some of my behaviors instead of treating someone necessarily like with kindness. I was like, you would, you would, oh, so-and-so, you know, you, you start seeing when I'm walking in the parking lot at the grocery store or something, I'm like, oh, that dude's up to no good. Oh, this, this lady's up to no good. Like, when is if I focus intently on God and his characteristics, I'm trying to see the image of God in that person, not their potential for bad and darkness, as an example. But, what you worship is what you become. Here's what you become. So evil men, this is 2 Timothy 3, verse 13. Evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. All right. So that's saying like, if you've been worshiping these things and your foundation, your identity is not staked in God and who he says you are, then you, as a consequence, stake your identity in turn, into something else, and something else cannot give you identity. It did not create you, therefore it cannot sustain you, okay? And then from that place, you are always reaching for something else to sustain you, for something else to sustain you to the point to where you deceive yourself, and in your own self-deception, you can't help as a byproduct deceiving Others, whether it be in your way of thinking, in your way of presenting yourself, or, um, and a lot of times this happens, again, unconsciously. You don't even realize you're doing it because you've been operating a certain way for so long. But it can be done consciously too. You know, knowing that you are deceiving others but not caring because your self-concept has become so twisted because you are not meditating and worshiping that the creative force 
God, the divinity for which you were created. Okay. Verse 14, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of knowing from whom you have learned them. And he's talking to um, Timothy here personally. He's saying, do not follow what these other dudes are doing. You've learned this stuff. You learned the gospel from an early age. So continue in those core concepts because they will sustain you. Continue knowing who you are as a son or daughter of God because that will sustain you. Verse 15, and known that from childhood you have known the sacred writings uh, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. And all scriptures given by inspiration of God is profitable for profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, um, for training in righteousness. The man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So we have the story of two trees right here, basically. Or we have the story of we have the story, you know, of two kingdoms basically going on there at the end of that chapter. Um, the Apostle Paul, who's writing this letter to Timothy, a young minister, basically saying like, hey, you've seen this play out on the other side. People who have put things in place of God and they go from bad to worse. He's saying you've been given the right way to do this from an early age. Now, understand that in continuing to consciously meditate upon the ancient scriptures, um, on the identity and the nature of God, it is going to continue to grow you in the wisdom that God has for you rather than in the wisdom that something that is created, not God himself, has for you. Again, this is the fall of Adam and Eve. This is the sin. Adam and Eve and why, you know, it created the situation of exile for them. It wasn't the fact that they reached and ate for the tree. It was the fact that they believed they needed to do something to become like God. They were already like God. And then the second layer is, you know, if you read that text really cl close, closely, it says that Eve reached for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because she saw that the fruit was good for wisdom. Well, that's to say that God wasn't going to teach them his wisdom. He was. He walked with them in the cool of the day. So there's two ways of operating. You can reach out to things outside of yourself. You can reach out and stake your identity into things outside of who God made you to be and who God is to try to obtain it through force. Or you can rest and ask God and study and do all of these other things and allow God to give you and teach you the wisdom that he has for you so it doesn't get twisted and become something else. So good thoughts there. But I want to look, uh, let's go to first or second Timothy three, same chapter. Uh, look at verse eight real quick. Because we have another example that goes back to the Old Testament. And again, I just wanted to highlight this because a lot of times we see there are these tensions in scriptures. Um, and it seems like it's contradictory. But if you study the whole thing out and you understand that these tensions and these contrasts are put into the storyline on purpose to cause you to wrestle with them. So greater truths can come out. But in verse 8, just as Janes and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men oppose the truth. Men of depraved mind um, rejected as 
regards the faith. But they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, um, as also that those of two came to be. But you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, um, patience, love, and perseverance. And he goes on into that last section that we read. But they go back to Moses and they say, even Moses was opposed by Johnnes and Jambres, which were basically different spiritual beings or different religious teachings of the day that worked their way into the children of Israel where he had opposition. Even though these people had been seeing supernatural provision for a whole generation, miracle after miracle for two generations, yet they're still going against God. And that's something that we could say today. You could worship a manifestation. We've seen this in the drunken glory. We see this with the charismatic streams. We, you know, a bunch of healing starts happening and we start to worship the healing ministry and not he who provides the healing, which is God. Or, you know, when the drunken glory broke out, you know, the drunken glory, everyone getting whacked out in the glory and the ghost. And then God's been calling you into new things, but we continue just to sit and lay on the floor and be like, oh, I can't do anything. I'm just like, yo, you're worshiping the manifestation, right? And they will not make further progress. You're not going to prog- um, progress any further, according to Paul here in Timothy, um, unless you continue to answer that call, unless you continue to Again, do not worship the manifestation. The manifestation of a gift of God can become an idol because you are supposed to move on and continue from glory to glory. And through all of that, again, it gets back into this concept and point number three, our environment reacts in according to what we become and what we are becoming. So a lot of times, and this was specifically the case with Israel, is like if something bad happened to them, they interpreted it as, oh, we did something bad, we fell short, now God is punishing us, right? There's consequences for bad behavior, but they're just natural consequences. It's not God punishing you, but it's just like if I throw the bouncy ball you know, up against the wall right here in front of me in the studio where I'm recording, that ball's going to bounce off the wall and hit me in the face. But then in the mindset of the Israelites and still in the mindset of a lot of Christians today, because we're still living out the old covenant. We just put new covenant terminology on it, but we still live like we're in the old covenant, trying to work our, earn our salvation for God and not understanding who God really is and what he did. Um, but right, that's a consequence, not because God's punishing me, but I could interpret it like that ball hitting me in the head is, well, God's punishing me. I must have did something bad. Like, no, I threw a ball against a wall in, in an enclosed space. What did you think was going to happen? But again, the environment that I'm in and the consequences that I face Right, That all comes in accordance to how I've been acting and how I've been acting a lot of times goes in accordance with what I've been worshiping Right, because I become what I worship. My eyes beholding this, now I believe a certain thing about myself. It may or may not be true. And because I believe that way, now I act this way. And in the action, 
Again, chain of events happens just like we saw back in Exodus. You know, the, the children bear the consequences of what their fathers did three and four generations prior to them. And if you want to get, you know, some crazy stuff on in terms of like health stuff that goes on, you know, food allergies um, and genetic uh, predispositions, they found some recent research that says that it actually goes back. You can it determine a lot of that's determined by what your ancestors ate four generations ago. So like, you know, my three times great grandpa, you know, some of the issues that I have genetically food wise, all these other things have to do with what my three times great grandpa ate when he was alive, you know, just something interesting in terms of when in Exodus, when God tells Moses like, Hey, like three to four generations from now, they're going to be bearing out these consequences. Just, just a fun little fact there. I don't know if there's anything to that. I just think it's cool. But let's look at a few examples of this. Again, I just pulled out that that one from Exodus about how the environment um, reacts in accordance with what you believe about yourself and then what you believe about yourself and what you behold turning into what you become, you know, um, affecting the generations of your children as one example. That's Exodus 20, verses 4 and 5. But let's look at... Uh, let's go way back to one of our first stories. One of the oldest stories ever told. Um, a tale of two brothers. I think y'all know where I'm going with this. Cain and Abel. Uh, but not a whole lot in the Bible is said about Abel, but he's one of the most central characters of the Bible. But more said about Cain and said about Abel in the Bible. But let's look at what's said about Cain. You know, so this is after um, Cain has killed his brother. He's killed Abel at this point. This is Genesis 4. Verse 11, now it's often misapplied. They say, well, Cain was cursed because he killed his brother. And that's actually not accurate. Cain was never cursed. Now, Cain has been exiled. He's been cut off because he broke the standards of his community. And so now he can no longer live in that community for a variety of reasons. That's a wormhole, rabbit hole. I don't want to go down right now. But what is actually cursed in this regard is the ground. So the ground is cursed. And then anyone who tries to harm Cain will be cursed. So let's look at what a God that is, first of all. He says, you committed a great evil. You killed your brother. So he's like, there's going to be some consequences to this, right? The ground is cursed. And that could be a, you know, that could be a whole thing because we see that uh, Abel's blood is screaming from the ground. But more or less, um, Cain, as a cultivator of crops, is now has to live a life of wondering, and that wondering represents a reliance on God. And we can see what a rebel Cain is because later in the story, he does not continue his life wandering as God has asked him to, but instead he builds a city. Again, another rabbit hole we don't want to go down right now. <clears throat> but in verse 11, Genesis 4, 11 says, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. 
Verse 12, when you cultivate the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. You shall be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. Basically saying, hey, the way you used to make your living is no longer available to you, but you can wander around the earth and I'm still going to be with you. Um, and but listen to what he says here. And verse 15, Cain, Cain petitions the Lord, you know. Cain, Cain petitions God. He's like, um, <clears throat> and Cain said to the Lord, this is verse 13, my punishment is too great to bear. He's like, this is too much, God. It's too much for me. And behold, thou hast driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from thy face I shall be hidden. He's like, you've driven me from what everything that I've known, and now you're going to hide your face from me too. I'm going to be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and it will come about that whoever finds me will kill me. So he's like, I have no homeland. Um, you're removing your hand from me. So he's like, I've got no protection. I've got no way to make a living. And God says, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain, lest anyone should find him and slay him. And then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And that land, that word Nod there means wandering, the land of wandering. So Cain is wandering, but God still blesses him. God's like, I'm going to put this mark on you. That way everybody knows my hand is upon you. And anyone who tries to harm you, harm is going to come to them because I am still with you. What a God. But what we see is... Because of Cain's actions, right, the ground is cursed. And that could mean a lot of different things. But the point I'm just making here, just to wrap this all up, is his environment has changed in accordance with his actions. And at a certain point, you know, his actions, whether God didn't like his sacrifice or not, there's, again, that's another whole can of worms we could go to. But the point is, it wasn't acceptable to God, and instead of going to God and asking what is acceptable, he went to his brother and killed him, and now this chain of events has been set into motion. So now the ground is cursed for his sake because of the actions that he committed. And then a couple more. We'll go back into the book of Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew, the 13th chapter. Look at a couple more and wrap this bad boy up. Again, your environment will react in accordance with what you become because what you become, what you believe about yourself, then determines your course of action. You will act certain ways and you don't even realize you are acting certain ways. So in Matthew 13, verse 37. Okay, this is the parable of the wheat and the tares. Okay. Um, and Jesus answers and says, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man and the field is the world and as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom and the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil and the harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. And you can get into all these arguments about eschatology and all that. But if you go look up what the word tares mean or means, 
all tares mean is false grain. So we got the good grain and the false grain. So if my eye, to get back to point number one, if I'm beholding consciously what that good grain is, I will turn into good grain. If my eye beholding consciously what is false grain or bad grain, I become bad grain, and then the environment reacts accordingly, right? If I'm good grain, what happens? I'm harvested. I'm turned into bread. I feed people. I provide substance and sustenance to my community. If I am a tear, a false grain, what happens? I'm gathered up and I'm burned. And then I'm used as fertilizer and all these other things. Okay. Just a very interesting little take there. Again, I'm not going to get into all the eschatology with that. And then the last thing I will say, right, about the environment reacting in accordance to what you become, right? You become a tear, you get treated like a tear. The world responds because God's given you the authority to rule and reign here. But if you're doing so in a way that's false, the environment around you, again, is going to act in concert to that because you have the God-given authority and you're not using it or not recognizing it in a way that has been given to you. Um, We're in Matthew, again, uh, chapter 15, verse 11. Um, And Jesus says here in the red letters, it's not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth defiles the man. So he's even saying, bro, you could behold all of this stuff. You could eat all of the stuff. You could consume all of the stuff that's really, really not good for you. And it can work on you. And it does provide an essence of worship, but it's not until you begin to act that truly, truly, starts to work on your character and going back to those passages in second Timothy that we read, you know, the men who have done this people who have operated that way. As if you operate that way too much, you turn into a different creature altogether. So it's in the action where that defilement happens. But if you are not giving the soil a chance to bloom and to blossom by focusing your worship on who you are, who God is, you're making it a lot harder for yourself. And I don't want it to make life's hard enough as it is, ladies and gentlemen. I don't want you to consciously be making decisions that make it that much harder for you. You know, and I'll leave y'all with this. I just can't help myself, but let's contemplate on you know, two of my favorite passages, and then we're done. Let's go to John 14, 20. I'm going to read it to y'all. I got this memorized, but here, I'm going to read it to you. Red letters of Jesus. This is what Jesus says. So anything contrary to this is not the gospel. The thing about it is, is like churches in a lot of places, they want to give you part of the gospel, and then they want to sow some fear in you because fear sells. Fear keeps people coming back. There's no fear in this. Read it. So in John 14, verse 20 says, In that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And that day is now, ladies and gentlemen. That day is now. And then let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to start around verse 17. 
I'll just read you some of that because this gives you the whole panoply of what has really happened at the cross. All right, so let's let's start in verse 14. So 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, and all means all here, ladies and gentlemen. And all means past, present, and future also. They who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. All right? No, no man according to the flesh. We're knowing them from the inner man, the divine seed within them. So verse 17, this ties it all together. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away and behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So he gave us this ministry of reconciliation saying, hey, you're in the family, you're in the family, you're in the family, you're in the family, you're all part of the family, you're all part of this gift. You just don't know it yet. Just know it and say, yeah, I am. And guess what? You're in and you've always been in. You just haven't opened up the Christmas presents that are under the tree. They've been sitting there the whole time waiting for, waiting for you to open them. And then we're giving a ministry of reconciliation, not condemnation. If I'm speaking condemnation over you, then that is not the gospel. Now, condemnation and correction aren't two things, but correction should always come through relationship. And when the student is ready, the teacher shall appear. That's another thing you got to realize when it comes to correction. Um, it's foolish to give people correction when they're not ready for it or if they haven't approached you about it. That unsolicited good advice does not go very far, and it's more about you rather than actually helping somebody. That was a freebie. But what is this ministry of reconciliation? Verse 19, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself and not counting their sins against them. And he committed us to the word of reconciliation. So I'll read that again. God was in Christ reconciling the world, that's the whole world, past, present, and future, to himself, not counting their sins against them. He hasn't counted your sins against you. Your sins haven't been counted against you. You've been counting your sins against yourself and feeling like you're not good enough for God. Well, guess what? That's over with. So be reconciled and believe the gospel. And if you don't believe that, that's cool. Let this work on you and let me know how your life's going. But that's all I got for tonight, people with this Bible decoder episode. So just remember what you behold consciously is what you worship. And then you end up becoming what you worship and your environments will change as a result. And again, that can be good, bad, or ugly. So I don't know about you, but for me, I'm going to believe in my reconciled union with God and try to worship from that perspective.
tune my consciousness and my awareness into who God is and who God says I am. And God, remember, God does not say that you are a dirty, evil sinner. He says you're part of the family and anything that you've done is wiped away clean. You are a brand new baby. And that being said, you ever see me on the streets, man? Yeah, yeah. And, and you heard this message like, uh, yeah, just let me come give you a big old hug. Congratulations. Uh, love y'all. We'll be back at it next time. And until we do, it's your boy Monk. Peace and blessings to you from the Most High. I'm out.